Hello, and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week, we're discussing research integrity to coincide with the publication of the first annual statement of the UK Committee on Research Integrity. To discuss that is Professor Rachel Guberman-Hill, co-chair of the UK Committee on Research Integrity. Professor Guberman-Hill, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much indeed, Gavin. It's a pleasure to be here. So can we start with a bit of an introduction to the UK Committee on Research Integrity? When was it set up and, and what are its key aims and objectives? So the UK Committee on Research Integrity was set up last year. So that was in May 2022. And we were set up to deliver on a set of recommendations uh, made by the House of Commons Science and Technology Committee. Those recommendations were made in 2018. So we're a committee that has two co-chairs and 10 fantastic members, and we have formal responsibility for promoting research integrity across the UK. Our remit's quite broad, Gavin, so we're working across all research environments, all disciplines. We're here to promote and strengthen research integrity, and we work with organisations including funders, research organisations, bodies that focus on research integrity, publishing organisations, regulators and professional bodies. So we're broad in our remit. We focus on higher education. We focus on private sector research. We focus on third sector research, government research, and all the myriad of fantastic organisations and groups that work in the research endeavour across the UK. Fantastic. Well, before we dive into some of the details of that, can we just be absolutely clear? How do we define research integrity? It's really important we're quite clear on what we mean when we're talking about research integrity and we've got quite a, a simple definition so what we say at the committee is that research has integrity when it's carried out in a way that's trustworthy ethical and responsible and that particular framing of research integrity draws on the uk concordat to support research integrity which is hosted at universities uk and the Concordat really usefully outlines five principles that are needed for research integrity. And I'll just run through those for you, Gavin. The five principles are honesty, rigor, transparency and open communication, care and respect and accountability. So they're all contained in the Concordat to support research integrity. They're clearly laid out. And research that has integrity would be paying really close attention to those principles. Fantastic. So we've got the definition, we've got the principles. And since one year ago, we've had the UK Committee on Research Integrity, which this month has released its first uh, annual statement. What are some of the key messages that have come out of this first year of activity? So it's been really interesting across the first year because what we've tried to do within the committee is look really hard at the available evidence that's out there and to bring that together along with some consultation processes to, to find out really what the evidence is about research integrity in the UK, and also to gain a sense of what evidence is needed. So if I was to summarize some of the, the key highlights from our first annual statement, I think I'd say that there's clear evidence that research integrity in the UK is really strong. There's also clear evidence that researchers working in the UK are really highly motivated to perform their research uh, to standards of integrity. But there's also evidence that the system doesn't always enable them to do so. 
there's also evidence that UK is doing very well. And so the proportion of our research papers that are published in open access avenues is really high compared with other countries across the globe. And also the, the way in which we talk openly about research integrity in the UK is very strong. We've got several bodies and organizations that encourage us to focus on integrity and talk about aspects of integrity ranging from reproducibility and ethics through to rigor. And taken together, that paints a really positive picture of where we're at in the UK. So our headline message is that UK integrity is strong, but there's space for improvement, particularly in relation to systemic pressures that might inhibit people and groups from, I guess, maintaining or upholding the integrity standards that they wish to do. So let's unpick a few things in what you've just said, because there's a whole lot of interesting messages in there. One of the things that uh, I guess I'm interested in is how you measure the levels of research in, in integrity. Uh, you've, you've come up with a, a framework and we've talked about trustworthiness and ethical and responsible research and so on. Uh, and your conclusion is that the UK does pretty well, but how have you actually gone about measuring that? Well, one of the things that I think is really important when we think about integrity is to consider the importance of integrity through the lens of what it does for research. So if our research has integrity, then that serves to enhance and also, I guess, protect the quality of the research that we do. And when our research has integrity, it also means that we're safeguarding confidence in research and confidence in research would be confidence of individuals working within the research system and confidence among beneficiaries of research and confidence among members of the public too. So if we think about that as our framing for thinking about why we focus on integrity, then we can start to think about how we assess and measure integrity within the research system. It's quite complicated to measure integrity. And the reason why it's complicated is because there are really not any existing indicators of integrity available to us beyond those that are used within individual organizations. And there's very little consistency across the UK in how we think or write about integrity indicators. So there was some work done last year, and that was done by UK Research and Innovation, Cancer Research UK and Guild HE to start to understand some of the landscape and some of the opportunities for indicators of integrity. And part of that dialogue focused on how we might think about indicators that are responsible and don't add undue bureaucratic burden. We had a recent review of research bureaucracy in the UK, very usefully highlighted the importance of ensuring that bureaucracy is appropriate, uh, not overly burdensome and, and fit for purpose. That was a Tickell review, which I'm sure you're aware of. And, and so if we think about indicators against that backdrop, we then have to think about how we measure appropriately and how we measure in a way that is helpful rather than creates unnecessary bureaucratic burden or indeed creates any harm to the research system. So if that's my, my second backdrop to thinking about indicators, then we can start to look at what evidence we've already got out there already. And that's quite a bit of it knocking around. 
um, but there's a need for a lot more. So in our work over the last year, the committee commissioned some analysis of statements on research integrity. And these are provided by higher education institutions, and we were able to include nearly 300 statements in our analysis, and they were statements from 2019 to 2022. Alongside that, there is evidence on research integrity that comes from an international survey on research integrity. And that's a survey that asks uh, members of the research community for their views on practice uh, within their own research. And then alongside that, there's analysis of data relating to retractions. And you'll have heard of Retraction Watch and the Center for Scientific Integrity. And they have a really helpful database relating to retracted publications. Now, I'll return to retractions in a bit because retracted publications aren't necessarily a precise indicator of incidents of conduct issues or integrity issues. So we need to return to that a bit later. But it's one of the things that we can use to start to understand the current lay of the land. There's also some very useful open uh, science and open research indicators um, knocking around in the publication world. So. PLOS open science indicators were published just last year and we've been using those to try to understand kind of UK research integrity and then there's also been really helpful studies and reports they include things such as the the landscape study that was conducted by Vitae in partnership with the UK Research Integrity Office and the UK Reproducibility Network and that came out in 2020 so we've got all those sources of information at our fingertips. But what's really important is how we bring those together. So in summary, what we've got there, we've got a list of uh, indicators that come from the world of publication. We've got some indicators that come from self-report, and we've got some really useful indicators that come from the narrative statements produced by higher education. We'll also start to see narrative statements being produced by uh, government science as well in coming years, now that they are signatories to the Concordat to support research integrity. So there's a whole range of things that we can use. The conundrum is how we bring those together in a meaningful way that showcases what we've got, but also highlights some of the gaps in our knowledge because we need knowledge and we need evidence to be able to make any really consistent, coherent and strong recommendations uh, for the research system and to address the systemic pressures that we are hearing about from members of the research community. It sounds fascinating and almost a research area in itself, to try and come up with a meaningful uh, agglomeration of these different indicators uh, to come up with a way of measuring and hopefully in the future, presumably measuring progress as we move forward. I wanted to ask you in your first set of comments, the conclusion of the committee's work was the UK was in a good place and had uh, mm -hmm. done a number of different things. But one of the remarks you, you said was that in some cases, the system doesn't enable good practice. I just wanted to tease out what you meant by that and uh, what the implications therefore about how the system, whatever it is, might need to change. So what we hear when we ask members of the research community about their practice, what we hear when we ask them those questions is that sometimes they are making choices or feel that they have to make choices in their work that maybe don't necessarily align with everything that they'd wish to do. So I think really useful examples would come from the international survey that I mentioned. This is the International uh, Research Integrity Survey. And what we did as part of our work over the last year was draw out some of the information from UK researchers 
compared with researchers who are working in other contexts. And some of the information in there relates to um, publications and relating to what we call, uh, call questionable research practices. Um, questionable research practices are practices that don't necessarily fit into the category of frank misconduct, but maybe are not in line with kind of expectations of, of the research community as a whole. So an example of that might be uh, carrying out research without ethical approval. And the overall international survey data indicates that uh, around 15 percent of respondents to that survey um, said that they had carried out research without ethical approval and that was research that directly related to publications and that figure is the same in the uk so around about 15 uh, percent of uk respondents um, said the same so when we think about what's happening within the system and what causes that to happen we need to start to ask people why it is that those things are happening what's going on that means that they are conducting practices such as that and what we hear across the system is that there is a lot of competition and a lot of people feeling that they have to publish or perish and a lot of people feeling that the competitive um, system that's in place kind of means that maybe they can't always do things the way that they'd, they'd wish to. But aligned to that, I think we also need to think about pragmatic issues such as, as resourcing. So if we think about open data and the need for us all as researchers to be placing our underlying data on repositories, there are fantastic repositories in place and they're there and we use them and the UK is really good at making underlying data available where possible and where appropriate. But alongside that, we need to think about how that data is curated and the resource that's needed for those digital repositories and the resource that's needed to adequately curate the data so the data can be placed in those repositories. So at the moment, what we hear from researchers is that the open science and the open research movement is incredibly welcome. It's warmly welcomed across the system. But what we also think as a committee is that it's desperately important that we retain really good resourcing for the infrastructure and the processes that can support open science and everything that goes around it. So it's complicated. There's lots of different areas, Gavin. There's lots of things to think about, but the system really needs to enable individuals and groups working within the system to be able to act on their levels of motivation. That's really interesting. And presumably then the UK committee is able to highlight some of these things, which will lead ultimately to recommendations for tweaks and improvements to the way that the system works. That's right. And that's absolutely the plan over the coming year. We now have got a good sense of the lay of the land. And the plan for the coming year is to start to really understand more about the influences on research integrity and start to understand more about kind of what helps and what hinders. And it's from that evidence base that we can move forward into making some really strong recommendations about what's needed. I wanted to ask you a little bit about research misconduct, which is obviously just one aspect of the uh, research integrity agenda. The UK does not have a national body that sort of oversees investigations into research misconduct. Uh, does the UK Committee on Research Integrity have a position on this about whether there, there should be such a national body and what it might do? There's a couple of things there, I think, isn't there? There's a kind of discussion around whether there could be an oversight body 
for investigations of misconduct. And there's also maybe a discussion to have about whether there could be a body that independently verifies whether a research organization has followed processes to investigate research misconduct appropriately and, and adequately. There's a couple of different nuances there. In the UK at the moment, we don't have such a body. Um, some countries do have such a body. For instance, Australia has a body that performs that exact function, uh, an independent verifying function. And at the moment, what we don't know in the UK is whether such a body would make a difference to research integrity. And so it's desperately important that what we do in the UK is have a, a good look at the evidence that tells us and gives us signals about whether or not such a body would help. And some people say they'd like such a body, but the vast majority of people uh, who we've spoken to from the committee also don't know whether such a body would make a difference to UK integrity. And generally what we hear is much more interest in understanding the drivers, the influences, and the, um, the things that might enable or alternatively inhibit research integrity practice. And people are saying they really want us to focus on that area rather than focusing on a body. That said, we have just started a piece of work focused on research misconduct. We've set up a working group within the committee and in collaboration with colleagues from other organisations. And that group, among other members of the committee, are going to look very closely at what's needed in the UK. So it's a careful piece of work. We're not going to rush. We're going to do it with due consideration and due care to start to scope out what might be of most benefit to the UK research. And when I'm talking about UK research, of course, I'm also talking about the huge amount of research that's done in collaboration with international partners. So the committee has come to the end of its first year, and we've touched on a couple of the things going forward, but maybe you could just set out for us what the committee's priorities are for the next year going forward. Fantastic. So this is where I offer a shameless plug for our 2023 statement. And I'm sure that listeners would uh, would find that an interesting read. It's a, it's a good number of pages, but in there we've got a, a set of uh, activities that we are conducting in the, the year or two ahead. And we also have some thoughts about what colleagues across the whole research system might like to think about in the coming years. We're interested in understanding the influences on integrity. We are really interested, as I've already mentioned, in addressing research misconduct in collaboration with colleagues from other organisations. We want to carry on the work on indicators of research integrity, and we need to think about how indicators might be consistent and responsibly thought about. We're also going to do some further analysis of existing data and also do some new data collection uh, to continue to pave the way for our understanding of, of what's needed in the future. We've also convened uh, a group of experts working on artificial intelligence, AI, and AIs, of course, come to public attention recently because of the availability of generative AI tools such as uh, ChatGPT. But of course, AI has been part of the research system for a long time already. And we know that AI can accelerate research, but we also know that AI has some challenges associated with it. So we're thinking about how AI in research processes such as publication is being used. And we're also interested in AI research itself. We were interested really to, to note that a number of 
publications uh, in the UK are focused on AI research itself. So it's a large field, it's a growing field. In the year ahead, we're convening expert groups to, to think about what the knowledge gaps around AI and research integrity are, and to think about what's needed um, into the future for AI and research. So that's a bit of a snapshot going of some of the work over the coming year. We've got lots of things on our table and we have an open door for any uh, comments and thoughts that anyone would like to send to us. Fantastic. Just to finish off, I wanted to actually ask a bit more about you. So as a day job, you're a professor of health and anthropology at the University of Bristol. What's inspired you to get involved with working in this whole area of research integrity? Well, that's a really interesting question. So I have got a background in anthropology and I've been working in interdisciplinary research for a good number of years now. Gosh, it's over 20 years. I'm, I'm giving away my age a bit there. Apologies for doing so. But I've been working across different disciplines. And one of the things that I really enjoy about working across different disciplines is, is hearing about different ways of thinking about rigor, reproducibility. Uh, and it, it's been such a pleasure to think about that. And it's moved my thinking forward enormously, because even when we think about how we make research open, how we demonstrate its rigor, and how we conduct ourselves in a way that demonstrates care and respect to participants, all of that has got subtle nuance and difference between disciplines. So because I've been involved in interdisciplinary research for a good number of years now, I, I found it's piqued my interest in understanding all of the different aspects, all of those five principles of research integrity across different fields. And of course, I've, I've worked in research ethics and, and related areas as well. Well, thank you so much for sharing that and your own motivation. That's all we've got time for today. But Professor Guberman-Hill, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Gavin. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Professor Rachel Guberman-Hill, co-chair of the UK Committee on Research Integrity. The annual statement which Professor Guberman-Hill referred to can be found on the committee's website at www.ukcori.org. Meanwhile, details of the work of the Foundation of Science and Technology, including all our events, blogs, journals, and all previous editions of this podcast can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Until the next time, goodbye.